Well, let us continue in First Kings, if you will, as we continue to see one of the, the greatest prophets, if not the greatest prophet of Israel. Um, some even call him the, the prophet of, of power. Um, and so I'm talking about Elijah that we've been covering for the last couple of weeks. He kind of came on the scene suddenly and, and all of a sudden things have been happening and we will be in, in 1 Kings chapter 19 in this evening. And up until this point, because he came on the scene like two chapters ago in chapter 17. And up to this point, we can count seven miracles that Elijah has been a part of in these last two chapters. I mean, it's almost like this guy was unstoppable. I mean, anything he did, I mean, it was just a miracle. Things happened in his life. I mean, this guy, he stopped the rain. He, he, he got fed by ravens. He got fed by a widow. Another, two unusual sources, but, but these were miracles of God because, again, by the ravens that he was being fed, it, take, it was about a year that he was being fed continually, morning and evening. And then this widow, you know, they were down to the last of the last of the, the flour and the oil. And for two years, God just supplied every morning, every day everything that was needed. And so, you know, we, we, we see that, that he uh, also raised up the widow's son when he died. This man, as he got together and challenged the, the, the prophets of Baal, he calls down fire from heaven and it happens. He brings the rain at his word, rain comes. And at the end of chapter 18, there was another miracle that you might have not thought it was a miracle, but it's a miracle because King Ahab takes off on his chariot and this guy outruns this chariot because he's rushing back to Jezreel because of the rain that's coming and he's just booking it. And it's like, that is just supernatural all the way around, you know, that he just outruns this. So, so you, you, you kind of you know, look at a guy like that and you go, man, with a record like that, you know, in two chapters, how, how, how can anybody really like relate to someone like that? And it is kind of hard because when you start seeing somebody that, that's just being used of the Lord all the time and they're telling you all these things and, and not so much those who are bragging about it, but just saying, man, God did this, God did this, and you're going... How do you compete? You know, you almost kind of feel jealous or envious how, how, you know, God is just using somebody like that, you know. But we know that, that in these two chapters that we've covered, we know that, that this man, he stands before God and he hears God and he listens to what God tells him to go do. And even though in the New Testament, in the book of James, James tells us that Elijah was a man um, with, with, with nature, you know, like nature like ours. You know, he was just a man. He, he, he just had the same nature as we do. And we're going, come on, I kind of doubt that. You know, if, if this guy in two chapters can do like seven miracles or be a part of second, seven miracles, like, I, I just can't relate to something like that. And so you almost feel like, how, how do you compete with, a prophet like that, and you're going, that's it, Zeke. He's a prophet, and you're not. And it's like, yeah, but he's a man just like us. And then we get to chapter 19, which happens to be one of my favorite chapters. Because I understand what James says about Elijah. This chapter I kind of relate to James now. It's like, okay, now I get what you're saying, James. He's a man just like anybody else. Now I can relate to this guy because of this chapter that, that, that we have in chapter 19. Now, now, don't get me wrong as we go through chapter 19. I'm not happy about what happens in this chapter. Well, I kind of am, but I, I, I really, it's almost like, yes, I'm okay. Because I, I'm glad that the Lord doesn't hold anything back. Because this chapter, chapter 19, didn't necessarily have to be in the Word of God. 
And we could have gone on without this chapter, but, but God decided to put this chapter in for, for guys like me, probably, that, that look at stuff, at people and going, man, I could never do that. I could never. And yet he shows us that, that man is just man. Every one of us, we're just man. I don't care who you, who you look up to, who you envy, who you, you know, think, man, they, they got it made. It's like, no, they don't. There's situations in their lives that, that are happening, that they're just men, every one of them. And so in verse 1 of chapter 19, we're going to break it up into several portions here. But the first three verses, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, I, I am assuming, as, this, as we get into this chapter, that it is still raining. If, if, if you were here last week, again, he, he sends, Elijah sends his servant to go see if the rain clouds are coming in. And after the seventh time, he says there's a cloud about the, 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 hand, the size of a man's hand. And he says, go tell Ahab to hurry up and get on back because the rains are coming. And all of a sudden, this torrential rain just starts coming. And so he's going from, from Mount Carmel to, to Jezreel, which is, which is about 15 to 20 miles away. And so he's booking it on his chariot. Because he's either trying to stay in front of the rain or the rain has caught him, but he's just trying to beat it, you know, trying to get out. And so I'm assuming that, that it is still raining as he gets to his palace and he goes into his lovely wife and, and, and he begins to tell her what's going on and he is soaking wet. And I'm sure that, that his lovely wife, <laughs> Jezebel, is expecting to hear how the prophets of Baal prevailed over Elijah. How the prophets of Baal and how Baal himself has, has, has won this victory over the God of Israel. Because again, Baal was the God of fertility. He's the God of the crops. He's the God of the weather. He was the God of everything. And so they were trusting that because they were up in Mount, Mount Carmel, which happened to be one of his holy sites that they had hometown advantage or home court advantage and that they would win this battle and so i'm sure when she's already getting the rain before he gets it he gets her she's she's probably already thinking it's a done deal man we won we won this this contest but ahab says or it says that ahab told jezebel all that elijah had done and I'm sure he was trying just to tell her, yeah, yeah, we lost. He's going, no, tell me all. Give me details. You know how women are. They want details. And so he tells her all. And he begins to, to count it all out for her. How exactly it happened. How that day started. How that day proceeded. How her prophets were going at it, calling upon Baal to bring down some fire. And how they were doing it from morning to afternoon and from afternoon to evening and they were cutting themselves and all this stuff. I mean, he went into detail telling her and I could imagine that as he's telling her everything that is happening, that as he, she's pressed him, that, that she is just beginning to seethe more and more. To realize that 450 of her prophets that were at her table that she provided for couldn't do it. Nothing could come through. That her God even failed. I could imagine that she is seething. I could imagine also that she's glad that she hadn't sent all the other prophets of the goddess uh, Asherah 
that at least you had them, but I'm thinking they're, they're no good to you either. So I can imagine the disbelief that her God was defeated. Now you would think that at this point, King Ahab, who is the king of Israel, who understands his history, who knows that God is the living God. He is the God who had brought Israel out of Egypt, who, who gave them the promised land, that for all these hundreds of years, God has been with them through all the judges, through all the kings now, even though there was wickedness going on, that God was the God of Israel. He was the true and living God. You would think that at this point, he would tell his wife, stop, stop. These gods are nothing. I saw it with my own eyes. I have built all these things for you and they are worthless. You would think that this man would have come to his senses and would have repented and realized that, that the God that he is allowing to, to permeate all of Israel is not a God at all. And you would think that at this point he would explain this to his lovely pagan wife <laughs> and say, stop. It's all false. It's all a lie. Your God can't help you. He can't do a thing for us. And the fact that these guys paid the ultimate price should be a warning to all of us. It has never been true. It will never be true. There's only one God, and he is the true and living God, the God of Israel. You would think that at this point he would do that. But he doesn't. In her rage, I could only imagine, he just went, I can't talk to you anymore. I'm going to go to my room. <laughs> and she, it says, and when Jezebel, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time, by, by tomorrow, about this time. Knowing, well, I don't know if I should say that, knowing, but she's saying, may my God do to me as he has done. It's like, no, your God can't do anything. He can't even kill you. He can't talk to you. But see, that's where she is at. She, she is in a place where, where she is so blinded by by this cultish, occultive, you know, pagan type of religion that she's saying, may my God or, or may, may the gods do so to me. It's like they can't do anything to you or for you. But she sends a messenger to Elijah. Now, to me, that is an interesting move. As wicked as this woman is, has been and will be, Jezebel could have just as easily sent Someone to go and kill Elijah right on the spot. She has the power, the wherewithal, the wickedness within her. She is so evil that she can go and do that and nobody probably would have said anything. They probably went, well, she's exacting revenge just like we knew that she would because her prophets lie. And she went after them. But I think that she feared a revolt from the people because she's no fool. If she would have made him a martyr at this point, the people, they probably, those who had seen fire come down from heaven, they probably would have turned to the Lord and said, may, you know, may judgment come upon her or however they might have turned on her. But instead, she threatens to kill him. I think she had a better chance of him leaving town than, than killing him. And, and in him leaving town, as it would happen, she had the upper hand on the people. It, it's quite possible that when they didn't hear from Elijah after that, going, where did he go? How did he get away? You know, we, we're ready to hear from him because we just saw him, 
you know, called down fire from heaven. What is next, Elijah? And Elijah gets threatened, and he ends up just skipping town. It's almost like now she has the upper hand. She probably said, see, your God, it was a fluke thing. The prophet of God can't even stick around here. It was a fluke. My God's bigger. I'm still here. He's gone. And you almost want to say, Elijah, what? What what is this all about? Because it says that when he heard this, when when he heard this message, that he ran for his life. And you're almost kind of going like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I must not be reading this right because he has just been involved in miracle after miracle after miracle and God has been using him in powerful ways and now the, the, the fury of this woman and all of a sudden he's skipping town. And it's like, how are you afraid for your life when you stood against 450 prophets of Baal and when you defeated them, you had them killed? How are you afraid? But for some reason, this letter that that he received, fear gripped his heart. Again, given the fact that that he seemed to be fearless. The way he stood up to, to Ahab, telling him, hey man, I stand before God, man. I don't care what you say, what you do. This is what God is doing. And instead of doing that, it says that he went to Beersheba. This is where, again, when I get to this point, again, I might have a little smile on my face going, he is a man, just like anybody else. He is a man. Something got to him. With with, with all that, the the miracles and all the stuff, you're going, man, that is unbelievable to me. This is is more unbelievable than all those miracles. It's like, yeah, it's like, no, 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 what happened? What happened? What was it, Elijah, that gripped your heart? Did you really fear this woman? Did you fear for your life? What, what was it that just put you in this situation where, where you thought God can't handle this one? <laughs> and fear gripped him. It doesn't matter who we are or who we think we are. We're all men. Every one of us. Every last one of us. I don't care how strong you think you are or, or who, who you are or what position we might have. It's like here we have a man of God, the greatest prophet of Israel, a prophet of, of power, the one who stops rain, the one that calls down fire, the one that all these things, and yet he says the threat of a woman and he runs like a little baby girl. Oh my goodness. But again, it's like, I can't judge this man. It, it, it would be hard for me to say, man, what a, well, I did say a little baby, but, but, but again, it's like, that. that is us. Because we see God time and time again come through. We see God using our lives or using us in powerful ways in people's lives. And then something that you would think, how could that trip you up? But isn't that true? That, that something that, that, that you might not ever think would trip you up, trips you up. And all of a sudden you're paralyzed. Or, or you're running from the situation or you're hiding from the situation. There's a quote that I ran across from, from Charles Spurgeon in his book, lecture to my students and it comes from a book or one of the chapters called the the minister's fainting fits it says the strong are not always vigorous the wise are not always ready the brave are not always courageous and the joyous are not always happy there may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible deter, uh, detriment, but surely the rust 
frets even these. And as, as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know that they are but dust. And it's like, yeah. That's all we are, dust. As strong as we think we are at times, as powerful as we know that our God is in our lives, there are times that we falter. There are times where we look just like this. After, after these amazing victories, we, 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 we saw in, the, in this last chapter that he is on Mount Carmel and he has this amazing mountaintop experience. And he goes down and something as little as a woman threatening his life and he's undone. He's undone. And, and, and again, it's not like he, you know, when he heard the threat, he just went to the other side of town, to the other side of Jezreel, and laid low. It, it, it's not like he, he took off to the next town to kind of get out of Dodge for a little bit until it all blows over. No, he goes down to Beersheba, about 100 miles south of Jezreel. It has to be a good four to six day journey that he is fleeing from this woman. Again, just, just thinking of, 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 of the previous chapter. If you weren't here, you, you could read this previous chapter and the way he comes across and you're going, man, oh man. And so he comes off this mountaintop experience. And I'm thinking, well, well, instead of going 100 miles south, why don't you just go like 20-some 20, 20 miles back west to Mount Carmel and get one of those other mountaintop experiences? Or find another mountain to go get this mountaintop experience. Doesn't that work all the time? Every time you go up to a mountain, you're going to have this amazing experience? But he doesn't do that. He goes 100 miles for, for four, to, four to six days. He is running or walking or however he is, but he's getting as far away from her as possible. Be Beersheba is, is desert. It's the wilderness. <clears throat> and what we've already learned from, <clears throat> from Elijah is that he didn't do anything until the Lord told him to do it. He didn't move until he, he heard the Lord tell him to move. Go here, go there, go over there now. And yet we hear none of that here. We don't hear that the Lord said, Oh, hey, she's after you. I need you to go down to Beersheba. Nothing. He could have stayed right where, where he was at if the, if the Lord hadn't told him to move. And he would have been okay. Even if he would have lost his life, he would have been okay. He, he, he doesn't even acknowledge the Lord here. He just takes off. And I'm thinking, okay, after a day, two days, four days, you're thinking, what am I doing? Why am I running? Why am I going away from what God has, uh, he hasn't talked to me about this. You would think that, that a man like this, after a few days, he'd come to his senses going, I'm stupid. I'm going back over there to Jezreel, man. Because I stand before the Lord. But he doesn't do that. He gets all the way to Beersheba. He gets all the way over there because it seems like, like fear had not just gripped him, but it was driving him now. That he just couldn't stop and turn around and come to his senses. And then in verses 4 to 7, it says, says that he left his servant there in verse 3. He says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he laid and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there was, uh, and there by his head, 
was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him again and said, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. After leaving his servant in Beersheba, it says that he went another day's journey, which is another 15 to 20 miles. And I would bet that he's still going south. But he prays. And I'm going, finally, finally he prays. Finally, he's now going to seek the Lord. But this prayer is just a little different than all the other times that, that he had made, may, may have sought the Lord or, 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 or been in prayer about. This time, his prayer is a little different. It's kind of short, too. He just says, and he prayed that he might die. He says, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I'm thinking, man, oh, man. This guy's in a funk. Man, oh man, he, he can't snap out of this. I don't know if you've ever been there where you know you're not in the right place and you can't, for the life of you, get out of that situation. As much as you talk to yourself, as much as you think you're praying, as much as you're doing all this stuff, there is just something that you're going, it's enough, Lord, I'm done. I, I think I'm just done. I, I don't know if I want to continue to do this, Lord. I just want to die. I, I wouldn't ask for a show of hands, but, but I don't know if I'm the only one that's ever prayed something like that. Maybe I am. And I spare you, don't do that. But I'm glad that he doesn't answer those kinds of prayers. I'm glad he didn't answer his prayer here. I'm sure God is going, did anybody hear something? I feel like I'm hearing a little crying baby cry, but I want to die. But how many times have we just cried out because we're, we're overwhelmed? Things aren't going the way we thought they should be going. And all of a sudden, it's like, Lord, just take me home, man. Just be done with me. Why don't you? That would be the best. Your best bet would be just to take me out. And just, just to be honest with you, I mean, there's been times where I go, just take me out, put me in the corner in heaven. You don't even have to think about me anymore. That's what happens, man, when, when somebody is just so desperate and so overwhelmed and it's like, I just want to end it. I'm just done, Lord. Why do you even put up with me? I'm sure glad that, again, none of us has probably done that. But man, oh man, how the mighty have fallen, huh? How the mighty have fallen. Once again, I'm, I'm not happy about what's happening in him or happening here. I'm just, I'm just glad that I'm in good company with guys like that. That as we struggle through life, you're not alone. You're not going through something that nobody else has ever gone through, as the scriptures tell us in Peter. We've all, we've all gone through situations Yes, there are times, man, that we're just flying high and, man, nothing can bring us down. And then there's times, man, we're just, we're just struggling to stand. And then there's times we're just curled up, man, like this cat right here. And he is just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done, though, Lord. Take me. It's enough, he says. I'm no better than my father's. It, it, it seems that for the last three years or four years that he's been on the scene, Elijah has not had much success. <laughs> he's kind of been on the run. Oh, he's seen God work miraculously. Maybe he thought that after this battle, this mountaintop experience that he had up in Mount Carmel, maybe he thought that this, this is going to change uh, um, Ahab and, and Jezebel. All of Israel is going to repent and turn to the Lord. And man, we're all going to sing Kumbaya. It's going to be amazing, man, up here, up in here. But you see, it's almost like he doesn't know what's going on back up there because he's been gone for a week or so. He doesn't know what's happening, if anything. But spoiler alert, nothing's happening. But he doesn't know that. He doesn't know if God is starting to work up there. He's left. 
because it didn't go the way he thought it should go. But he is so spent at this time. He is so done at this time that he just lays down and goes to sleep under a broom tree or under a juniper tree. And it is quite possible that he is so depressed because things have not turned out the way he thought they they should have been. And it's almost like he begins to focus inward instead of upward. And all of a sudden he could only see his successes and his failures. And maybe he was counting up all the miracles that God has been doing in his life and going, what happened now, Lord? Why, why, why have you let me down? You've always come through. And it just seems that right now, Lord, you're not even listening to me. But it's almost like, but Elijah, did you even ask the Lord, do I stay or do I go, Lord? What, what do I do? I, I got somebody threatening my life. You didn't even acknowledge the Lord. For all this time that you've been running for almost a week, you had not even acknowledged the Lord. Now you acknowledge the Lord and you're saying, I'm, I'm done. It's enough. I don't want this anymore. And, and I know that, that, that we all kind of go through that, but those, those of us who've gotten into ministry, you know, I, I, I can guarantee you we probably battle this more than, than, than other people. It's like, I'm done. I don't want to do this no more. I, I didn't think it would be like this. Nobody told me it would be like this. But you see, when that starts happening, even in my own life, I can guarantee you the focus is this way. <laughs> it's all about me. It's me. I'm either the problem or I'm, I'm, I'm something. Something's happening to me or woe is me. And I forget to, do, to, to look upward and all of a sudden there's that battle because things aren't happening the way we thought they were, they were supposed to happen. But look at what happens here. He is nowhere. He is not where God wants him to be. He is not where God wants him to be. He never told him to go there. And yet, what I see here is that God sends an angel to him, to minister to him. And he makes him a devil food cake. Not a devil, angel food cake. <laughs> he, get, he makes him an angel food cake. He says, here, and eat, here, eat. And he get, brings him some water. Again, God provides for him. He's not even where he's supposed to be. And God takes care of him right there. And he lets him go to sleep again. And, and, and he wakes him up again. And he goes, here, here's some more food. Here's some more water. The journey that's in front of you it's too much for you. It's too great for you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, God's going to let him go still. <laughs> Instead of saying, okay, you've been a baby for how many days already? Stop. Just stop, Elijah. You are not where you, I'm, you're supposed to be. Thank God I'm still wanting to, to have fellowship with you, Elijah. Stop. Go back north. He doesn't do that. Do you see that? He gives him some more food. He says, here, you're going to need this. Because <laughs> you're not out of your pity party yet. And you want a little bit more. And so here's some food, mijo. <laughs> here's some food, mijo. Because you're going to need it. And so in verse 8, it says, So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him there. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, I alone am left, am left, and they seek to take my life. 
after some rest, after he rested and was strengthened by the Lord through the angel, again, he would think that he would come to his right mind and go, what am I doing, Lord? I'm so sorry. But he's still in the same place. He's still in the same place in his head and in his heart. And he still heads south. Been in a long party here. I don't know if you've ever been in a long party, a long pity party, that is. So it's, it's like a season that you go through. And nobody really wants to come, but you're you're like partying it up. And, and 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 it's almost like, why do you think nobody wants to come? Because you just suck. But we don't. And God still meets us there, and he says, here, I'll strengthen you still. Because you still want to run, and I'll let you run. As much as you want to run, I'll let you run. And so he heads down to Horab. Guys, it's another 200 miles. And this food sustains him for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I don't know what kind of food this was, but... Man, that'd be nice if we can patent it. <laughs> like, man, that's some endurance food. Keeps you going for 40 days and 40 nights. Guys, we're talking about six weeks here. Six weeks, he is still in the same mindset. And God has already ministered to him. He's already sustained him. But God has let him go. It's like, you want to keep on running? Keep on running. At any of those, that, that time, he could have stopped and said, that's enough. I hate going south, but I'm keep on going south. And there's times that in our lives, we're so overwhelmed, we're so whatever we're going through, and we're so much in this place that, that, that we can't even think straight, and we just keep on going. And there's times that we finally go, what am I doing? Why am I doing? But he keeps on going. Now, I'm not saying that what Elijah is doing is okay. But the reality is that there are times that we are in a long season of running. We're in a long season of looking inward and not so much upward or outward. And we just keep on running and we're basically running from God in the situation that we're in. But if you're going to run away from God, don't go to the mountain where he has already shown up at one point. <laughs> you see, Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai, where, where Moses had met up with God. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're kidding me, man. You're going to, he's already shown up there. Maybe he was thinking, man, if I could just get away from everything and go and hide in a cave for a time, It'll be just fine. Now, as he thought that he was running away from God, it seems that God was already waiting for him there. Because as he gets there, he spends the night in this cave. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. It says, What are you doing, Elijah? And I think it kind of was in that tone. What are you doing? Now, the answer should have been, nothing, Lord, absolutely nothing. That's what I'm doing. Because he wasn't doing anything. But, but, but instead of, you know, the Lord asked him, what are you doing? But Elijah answers why he's doing it. <laughs> That's not what he asked him. What are you doing here, Elijah? So well, I'll tell you why I'm doing it. Because I'm zealous for you, God. I, I, I have done everything for you, and now people want to kill me. <laughs> and if you keep on doing this, you're going to end up with a no-profit organization or non-profit organization. <laughs> if you keep on doing what you're doing here, God, because they've killed all these other guys, now they want to kill me because I'm zealous for you. Trip out on that. That's why I'm doing this. And it's almost like, but that's not what he asked you. What are you doing? 
And I think oftentimes when God tells us, what are you doing? We give him the why. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm looking inward right now, Lord. This is why, this is why, this is why. He says, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you what? Because honestly, he was doing nothing for everyone. And God had not called him to do nothing. It seems that Eliza was carrying what the Lord never told him to carry. And I know a lot of us can do that. Especially when you're in ministry, you start carrying the load of the people, and God's going, I didn't tell you to carry that. I just told, him, told you to point them towards me. It's like, yeah, but, but, but. This is why I'm doing it. So I, told, I didn't tell you to. I would say <laughs> that this is an easy place to get to, guys. Very easy. But this happens when the focus is turned inward instead of upward. Now, for the last month or so, after this amazing mountaintop experience in Mount Carmel, Elijah's focus has been on what he has been doing and what has been happening or not happening. And it seems like now he is at the end of his rope. And now God has his attention. And there's really nowhere else to go from here. Going more south, would end, he'd end up in the sea in a few miles. So it's a good place to be here. He has run and run and run till he can't run no more. And he is probably so exhausted. And I love the fact that even though Elijah was not where he was supposed to be, <laughs> God still met him right where he ended up. God met him there. I, I was reminded of that of that that psalm in 139 where should i go lord if i if i go this way you're gonna i'm gonna end up there if i go up there if i go down there if i go to the bottom of the sea you're gonna be there and that's what happened basically and that's what happens with us you know when we keep on running and running and running and it says in verse 11 it says and he's and he went out then he said oh then the lord said go out and stand on the mountain before the lord and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, I alone am left, and they seek my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go. Return to your way, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, anoint Haziel the king, as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Hamola. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whatever, it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hezrael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who have, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. Every mouth that has not kissed, kissed him. As the Lord could be or is gentle, it seems here that the command to go and stand outside the, the gate was a little bit more forceful. After grabbing his attention, he says, I need you to go out and stand. 
stand on the mountain before you, before the Lord. And all of a sudden, as he is out there, and I love the fact that he just obeys the command. It's like he, he's done. It's like, okay, Lord, here I am. And he goes and he stands. Now, Elijah was no stranger to the power of God. And what we see here, once again, is that God shows himself in the power. He shows himself in the wind, in the earthquake, and in the fire. And yet it says that the Lord was not in those things. Now, it's not saying that the Lord was not in, in those things because he was, but he wasn't going to speak to him through those things not like he had done in the past. What the Lord wanted from Elijah was stillness. Elijah was a powerful man. He was used to doing, saying things and doing things, and man, it just happened. And he's at a place in time where God's going, I'm going to deal with you a little different now. But you need to be still. And so as he sees the earth, wind, and fire out there, was a band back in the day. As he sees all of that, he says, I'm not in that. And he waited until he went back in. And then in this still, small voice, in this gentle whisper, he begins to minister to his heart. And I think that one of the main lessons that we, we have here is that God doesn't just work in mountaintop experiences, guys. Oh, I love them just like anybody else. It's great, man, to, to be on the mountaintop, to get to be in this experience and just going, yes, yes, yes. But that's not the only way he speaks. I would say that most of the time he's, he speaks and he works in the stillness of our hearts in humble ways. And I think all too often we, 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 we look and at the, or we envy those who do the powerful things of God. And that's fine. Doing those things, it's amazing. But most often than not, God does his, his best work in the stillness of our hearts. And he moves us in, in areas that, 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 that you might not have 450 people at your, as your audience or anything like that. It says, so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his his face and his mantle. And I thought, man, that's pure sweetness right there. He finally just humbled himself, man. He was at the end of himself, and what a great place to be when we come to the end of ourselves, and that's the only place we can do, or the only thing we can do is wrap our face before the Lord, and in that, we're, we're, we're reaching upward instead of inward. And he asked them the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? But I think it was in a different tone this time. And even though Elijah answers the same way, the Lord wasn't done with Elijah. And I believe that now Elijah was in a different place. That even, said, even though he's going, Lord, I, I still don't see how you're going to use me. Because I'm a dead man, basically. God had not called Elijah to do nothing. He never calls us to do nothing. And so he tells him, go. Return your way. Go back. In other words, retrace your steps. Go back to what I've called you to do, Elijah. Elijah was going to do some simple things, some practical things, some humble things that others others would be doing the work. He said, I need you to go anoint this guy and that guy, and then I need you to anoint Elijah, Elisha, because he's going to take your place. And I thought, whoa. <laughs> said you were done? Well, we're, we're still going to see him a little bit, but, but it's almost like, okay, I'm still going to use you, but I'm raising somebody else up to take your place. A humbling thing. And then verse 19 it says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 oak yokes of oxen before him, and he was with the 12. 
Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and says, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to them, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled the f- their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah, and he became his servant. And so we're going to see another man come on the scene that God's going to use in a powerful way. And in this time, he's not like what Jesus said, hey, man, don't turn your back to the plow. Keep on plowing. He's just, he, he was going to go honor his parents and say, I'm done. I'm done with the family business. Uh, having 12 yoke of oxen, man, that was 24. The, the, it was a big business. And he's leaving it all behind. As a matter of fact, he basically burns the bridges or burn, burns the oxen's equipment and says, I'm done with this. I'm going to follow what the Lord has called me to. And that was to, to be Elijah's assistant servant until God calls him out. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for uh, once again your word. We ask that God you would just go before us, Lord. As we remember, Lord God, that not one of us, Lord, is strong enough without you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just continue to meet us right where we're at, Lord. I know some of us, Lord God, sometimes stray or we we get into the season that we just can't see anything else but going south, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would just help us to stop and turn to you. I thank you so much that you never give up on us, just like you didn't give up on Elijah here. And when he was at his worst, Lord God, you still met him right where he was at. I'm so thankful for your grace and your mercy for that, for your kindness and your gentleness, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you've called us called us, Lord God, to do your work, not to run, but to stand. And so we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song.